there is a story, perhaps apocryphal, that when Perry Maxwell designed world-renowned prairie dunes, he disappeared into the 480 acres of central Kansas sand dunes and scrub with only a sack of apples re-emerging much later to pronounce. There are 118 holes of golf here. All I have to do is eliminate 100. Yet the story shows Maxwell's appetite for exploration, his enormous imagination, and inspired use of landforms and varied terrain, all qualities that helped him transform Oklahoma hills and dales into some of the nation's finest golf courses. Although our state is blessed to have courses by A.W. Tillinghast, Tom Fazio, Robert Trent Jones Jr., and other greats of the genre, the work of this unassuming Ardmore banker overshadows all others. From Dornick Hills to Twin Hills to Southern Hills, golfers throughout Oklahoma are thankful for the wonders Perry Maxwell performed. Welcome back to the You're Still Out Golf podcast and in the final episode of a podcast series focused on legendary Oklahoma golf course architect, Mr. Perry Maxwell. As surely you know by now, Maxwell Masterpiece Southern Hills Country Club is hosting the 2022 PGA Championship, so what better timing to shine a light on the courses created by the man known as the father of Oklahoma golf. We are calling this series Miles of Maxwell in partnership with local golf course architect Colton Craig, who has written a book of the same name. Colton's book will be released later this summer, and your Still Out listeners will be the first to know how to obtain a copy. Thanks to Colton for partnering with us on this series. This final episode of Miles of Maxwell features Southern Hills Country Club via an interview with PGA Director of Golf, Carrie Cosby. We hope you've enjoyed our Miles of Maxwell series and that it has added to your excitement for the upcoming PGA Championship along with your knowledge and appreciation of a true Oklahoma golf legend. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by a very special guest today here on the YSO podcast, the PGA Director of Golf at the esteemed Southern Hills Country Club up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Mr. Kerry Cosby. Kerry, thanks so much for joining us today, sir. Absolutely. Great to be on with you guys. It's going to be fun. Yeah, excited to talk to you. A, a very busy time of the year for you right now, so leading up to a big event that we'll get into here in a moment. But before we get to what's coming up here very soon, I, I, I want to go rewind on you here, bud. So I want to ask you, okay. what got you okay. in? Yeah, what got you into the game of golf, and and ultimately, kind of what what got you there at Southern Hills in that role as director of golf. You got it. You got it. Well, I was born into the game and, and the profession. My, my dad was a longtime club professional. He started, he's from West Texas and, and my mom is from uh, Houston, kind of South Texas area. And they, they moved up here when I was just barely born uh, to uh, my dad became the, the golf professional at Hillcrest country club uh, in Bartlesville, another Maxwell golf course. And uh, so my brothers and I, I have two brothers. I'm the oldest of three. And um, we, like I said, we were around golf and the golf business our entire life. So my, so we grew up at Hillcrest. Uh, we all three ended up playing golf at, uh, at OU. And then we we're all three in the industry at, um, at some level or we're at all different levels, I should say, not some level. But uh, uh, obviously I, I work at a club. Uh, my middle brother, Craig, uh, works for Ping in Kansas City, and he's a territory uh, rep for them. 
And then my youngest brother, Chance, used to work for Ping. Uh, now he uh, is the executive director of the Thunderbirds, the guys that run the WM Phoenix Open. So we're all doing stuff in golf all around the game, uh, obviously. And then my path was uh, I tried to play when I got out of school, um, you know, just moderately successful enough to pay a few bills. But uh, I had an opportunity to go to work at Oak Tree Golf Club. I think they call it Oak Tree National now. I think that those of us a little bit older call it the golf club. Um, and the um, I worked there a couple seasons as an assistant. Then I was – uh, offered a job to come here and work as an assistant at Southern Hills under Dave Bryan. I was here for about five years. I left in 2000 to go to uh, the Wichita Country Club up in Kansas. Great old, really cool place. Uh, done by William Diddle, not by Maxwell. It looked a little bit like Maxwell when I first saw it. Uh, moved up there in 2000 and lived there until the fall of uh, 2014. And then had uh, the great opportunity to come back to Southern Hills. So, uh, really, uh, you know, professionally, a really neat uh, place for me to be, just being an Oklahoma kid. Uh, I've said before, and I think some others have said, this, described their job, but this is kind of the New York Yankees job, even though I'm a Dodgers fan. Uh, <laughs> this is kind of a New York Yankees type. Uh, so I'll change. I like to be in the manager of the Dodgers, right? So, uh, no, the, this, is, uh, this is a dream come true for me for a kid from Oklahoma. My first big tournament that I ever attended in my life uh, and the first time I came on this property was 1977 when I was eight years old. And my dad uh, brought down my, um, me and, a, and I think my middle brother and probably a couple other, my buddies uh, down here to go to the practice rounds and get autographs and do all that. So my first time to ever be at a major championship was 1977 here. Well, you, uh, obviously have a, have a great perspective on, uh, Perry Maxwell, a great perspective on, Major championship golf, you know, you mentioned um, you know, 77, the U.S. Open. I believe Hubert Green won that one. Uh, Hubert Green. One of, mm-hmm. uh, one of what will be eight times that Southern Hills has hosted a major championship. Uh, Keith mentioned kind of going way back before we get into talking about what's coming up. Talk about Southern Hills as a club. Obviously, um, very well known, very well respected, but at the same time, somewhat mythical uh, in Oklahoma. Uh, give us a sense right. of the club history, kind of the year the club was founded, how it came to be founded, and then ultimately how the course came to be built. Well, it's, it's a, it is a unique history in the sense, I mean, all the major championship golf is great, but the, the club was founded during the Great Depression. Right. And so it was a group of members uh, who were at Tulsa Country Club. If I, I, if I hope I don't butcher the story a little bit, but they were, I think at the time, the Tulsa Country Club, which is an, as everybody knows, a great, great place, Tillinghast Golf Course, was leasing, I believe, the land from from the owner of the land. And with the Great Depression, they they thought it was going to be turned into a park or just kind of let go go to waste because of the of the time, the economic um, uh, condition of the country at that point. And so, a group of a group of their members. Um, pitched it to, um, to Wade Phillips, who was the largest landowner probably west of the Mississippi at that time. He's uh, Wade Phillips being the youngest brother of Frank Phillips of Phillips 66. But Wade Phillips off, you know, Phil Brook, Phil Tower, Phil Mont, the Boys, Boy Scouts uh, home base out in Colorado or New Mexico. I can't remember which one it is. But uh, uh, so they got, they, they convinced 
Wade Phillips that if they could sell 150 members memberships in that time, you think about that for a thousand dollars a piece, he said he would give them the land Wow! and that, that we're on, that we sit on. And I think he assumed that nobody in the right mind would join a country club right now in the great, <laughs> what they were going through. And I think they got to like 141 and he was so impressed by that. He gave them the land anyway and bought two memberships himself. And, um, and, and away we went. So it was, the club was founded in 35 and opened in 36. And so the clubhouse and, uh, was built, obviously took great advantage of the, of the hill and, and, uh, overlooking the city. And then the golf course had Perry Maxwell come in, uh, to be, to build the golf course. And so it's, as you probably have seen the pictures, it was built with, uh, mules and people were standing around the, the corner to work for like 25 or 50 cents a day. And Perry Maxwell and his uh, crew would go pick people out of the line willing to work. They were looked like they were fit and strong enough to do it. So that's how the golf course was built. So it's, it's really remarkable when you think about, I don't think, I think here in Augusta um, were the only 18 hole courses that were built during that time. I know Prairie Dunes, I think is one year later, it was a nine hole course when it was first built. And uh, then Press Maxwell did the other nine uh, following. Yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly when that was, but, you know, years down the road. So uh, really, really cool uh, history and how it was built. And, and, um, and it, you know, it was prompted by the Great Depression and built during the Great Depression. Yeah, wild to think that um, that a golf course that has gone on to such a claim uh, was, was built at a time where uh, – or just complete economic wasteland, just uh, nationwide, but certainly here, right. certainly here in Oklahoma, it didn't have this on the list necessarily. But I, I assume at that point, um, you know, Mr. Maxwell, you know, had done several um, golf courses and went kind of at the height mm-hmm. of, of his powers, so to speak. It was uh, was he uh, kind of the the natural choice to design it? Was there anybody else in consideration, or was it just kind of a no brainer? We're going to get uh, we're going to get the Duke to come yeah. and do this. I, I probably should know that better, but he, you're right. He was at the, he was at the height. Yeah. He had obviously done 20 kills and he did Hillcrest 10 years before in Barbersville in 1926. Uh, obviously he had done a lot of work with Alistair McKenzie on the greens at various places, most notably Augusta national. And then of course he built, it seemed like every golf course in Oklahoma and every, right, you yeah. know, Oakwood <laughs> and Enid and, and all these places. And then, um, and of course, I don't know if Tillinghast has ever talked to him. He did the Oaks. He did Tulsa Country Club. Uh, Tulsa Country Club first, and then the Oaks. And uh, but anyway, I, I would assume that he would be the natural choice in 1936, uh, based on where he was in the business, and um, and also being from Oklahoma. So, well, you know, a, a course that is nearly a century old, Kerry has gone through changes over the years, and, and that that's to be expected, right. and that's natural. But you know, talk to us a little bit about the the ultimate decision that went into the the major restoration that uh, that Gil Hans put together a couple years ago. You bet. I, I tell you, one of the one of the things that's impressive is the route of the golf course. Seventeen holes are the exact same route as nineteen thirty six. And cool. the only hole that, that had been modified is number seven. Now, of course, every hole is longer than it was in 1936, but the, and, but the routing is exactly the same. And number seven 
uh, up until the 58 open, I think right after the 58 open, they changed this because the, the seventh hole hugged 61st street as it, as it kind of curves around between Lewis and Harvard and the green and, and the, and the hole was close to the fence. And as that became a more prominent road and a more litigious society, they moved <laughs> it out into what would, what we would call it now a, a more uh, back basically the fairway of where it is today, but it, they moved it out there. So it was a slight dog leg left versus kind of just hugging the fence line as, as a true dog leg left. The old green, you can actually still see where it's at. It's out behind the championship tee of number eight. Um, but when the course was built, the, the maintenance facility was not located uh, where it is today, which would be right the backdrop now. So we didn't want to have the when when Gill came in, we actually looked at possibly putting a Maxwell green and where the green is today, and maybe having two greens and just call the left one the Maxwell green, and maybe give the player the choice. For certain days, we'd play the Maxwell green. But again, with 61st Street there and the, and the backdrop of the maintenance facility, no matter how much vegetation we have behind it, it's still going to be you're still going to see all that action going back there. So. Uh, we, we ended up moving that hole, that green, about 40 yards back uh, from where, where it had been since the late 50s and really created a, um, uh, an incredible hole. I think, I think Gil hit it out of the park. And it's what, you know, one of the things that, that I think we're going to see just in about four weeks from now is maybe the hardest hole uh, out hmm. there, uh, especially depending on what the wind is doing. I, I, but, you know, the – the golf course, I'd say the way it's changed over the years, uh, again, I, the great membership, you know, they protected the routing. So the routing has not been changed other than what I just said about number seven. And um, over the time, you know, kind of trends, you know, our bunkers kind of went from a more kind of natural look to a real high, uh, you know, pace, kind of the Augusta look. Of course, their, their golf course changes yearly. It seems like, but um, but their bunkers had that more flashed up face, kind of saucer looking, real crisp edge bunkers for a long time. And then we just went back with Gil to a little bit more natural look. We've had times where you know when the course was built, there were there was pretty there were trees, but it wasn't tree lined. And then that became very popular. Oakmont probably made it the most the most famous when they had just a you know, a corridor of, of every hole was just a thick grove of trees to zero trees, mm-hmm. you know, so that's the most dramatic, um, uh, change that I've seen. So about, I don't know how many we've taken out since 2000, but I know it started in, in 2000 or kind of late nineties, taking out some trees. And it was really done for turf condition because we were, when I was in the system here, not only were the, were the roughs just packed and trees that were growing into each other and they grew really low. Like, you know, carts would come back in and have, twigs and branches and stuff stuck out <laughs> of the top of them. And, uh, and it, it obviously did the, the turf grass. There was, there was very little rough on the property uh, when I was an assistant just for that reason. So they started doing some tree work, just getting the trees healthier uh, and pruning the trees up, taking some trees out, getting it back to where we had a good you know stand of, of grass in our rough areas. Uh, and then, you know, there were, I think two or 300 more trees taken out during this last work with Gill. And, the, the real probably driving force to, to the work that Gil started off with our greens. We were really struggling with our greens and the health of them in the summer. We, you know, we're a very busy golf course. We do 35 uh, to 37,000 rounds a year. And then I should temper that upper twenties on the championship course. We have a West nine that's done by Crenshaw core. Uh, that's on the, that's another nine holes that we have on property, but the championship course, everybody's called the champ. Um, 
the, the, the greens were, were, were struggling and, and we hired Russ Myers back. He was, he was here. And then he went to LA country club, led them through the restoration with Gil. And then he came back fortunately for us and uh, to, to basically get the greens going again. And he, you've probably seen this, but we, we installed what we call hydronics. Yeah. Green. yeah. Talk, talk our listeners we through have sub-air units, but yeah, talk our listeners that? through that hydronics. You bringing yeah. that up? Um, to, yeah, our yeah. listeners aren't as familiar probably with that, but so talk through uh, right how that works. You bet. Well, hydronics is it, so um, sub-air is is everybody knows that name from watching golf, or if you're a golf junkie like like all of us are, sub-air basically pulls moisture through the profile of the plant, so it gets you you dry quicker and and helps the water get through there so you don't have disease and some of the things that can happen if you have too much water. Uh, what Rust designed was basically radiant heating and cooling for each green. So um, we have right above the gravel, so let's say, what is that, 16, 18 inches down, we have uh, tubing that we run either cold or hot water through, depending on what time of the year it is, to help the, the um, temperature of the soil. So in the summer, when it's, you know, really hot summer, we, we can trick the greens into thinking it's May versus mid-July. And, you know, in the winter, instead of air the greens in, the, in September, when most clubs in this area have to do it, we did it in December last year. Oh, wow. So we found a good week of weather is pretty decent. He goes and punches it, sands them, gets some of that organic matter off the top, and it uh, doesn't really bother, you know, September and October are beautiful months, great time to play golf in Oklahoma. December, you know, we don't have near as much play, shorter days. He turns the heat on, grows the greens back in. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a green of the future, in, in my opinion, and uh, especially if you're in the middle part of the country where Bermuda's not a perfect fit and bent grass is really tough to keep. So if you say, uh, you know, Bermuda and, and – I'm getting off subject here, but because I'm not, this is not my expertise. So we need to want to talk to Russ on that, but you know, you're putting tarps out you've got to, you've got to airify in the middle of the summer when it's peak season, you've got to, you've got to top dress a lot. You've got to verticut a lot. And all the clubs that have great Bermuda grass are mostly in Florida. Nobody plays in the summer right. so they can, they can maintain them and get them ready for the winter time. So there's not a perfect grass here, but there is, if you've got uh, hydronics and, uh, and so, um, it's, it's been a game changer. I mean, we have tournament conditions basically all summer long. So club championship here is in August. And so the greens running, you know, low tens and soft, they're 11, eight and firm. Awesome. And it's just, it's remarkable. We, we can make them as fast and as firm as you'd want them. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and a couple good, really cool. I think yeah. a couple, a couple good things folks can Google is one, just from a picture standpoint, there's nothing cooler than seeing like a snowfall at Southern Hills, but the greens are mm-hmm. perfectly uh, green and, and uncovered with snow yeah, because of that. The Twitter photos. <laughs> that and then really cool, uh, yeah. if you're, uh, there are several of our listeners that do love to nerd out on those kind of stuff. And there's a great USGA video uh, where it kind of shows the, the making of those greens. So uh, can point folks a couple yeah, of places. It's the first, yeah. It's the first, first club. Uh, excuse me. Sorry to interrupt. Okay. Uh, they have all 18 greens with hydronics, um, Augustus, Russ was an assistant at Augusta and he saw, they did it on, I think 16 and 12 to help some certain areas of those greens be better for the tournament and their members. And, and then when he helped Gil 
when he was there at LA Country Club, they did it in a few of the areas. I think some of the greens were sit down low as far as like heating them uh, in the, in the cooler months for in Los Angeles, of course they have perfect weather for the most part year round there. But um, yeah, so the first one to have all 18 plus we have seven practice greens that have it as well. So, you know, our putting green and pitching and chipping green, bunker greens, all those have, have the same technology underneath it. So the, it's really, if you, if you look up the pictures, you can see the tubing. It's, it's amazing. So we have four units on property that chill or warm the water that's sent out to those, uh, those 25 greens. And there's a manifold kind of in the back corner of each green that goes, that's closest to the unit. And, you know, in the summertime, the unit sends out, um, water at like 40 degrees. And, uh, by the time it circulates back and comes back to the units in the, in the fifties somewhere, chills it again, sends it back out. So it's just, it's always, uh, circulating. And we're, we're probably, um, 15 to 20 degrees cooler, three inches down than everybody in town. So awesome. it's, a, it's a real, the cups are cold in the middle of summer yeah, in, it's a in, game the, uh, in the morning time, have condensation on them. Total game changer. Um, yeah, total game changer. Well, yeah. I, I know it was a, it, this was about the time I think that you came uh, back to Southern, but can you give us a sense of kind of what went into the decision to hire Gil specifically? You know, it kind of seems like whoever you guys would have went with had a pretty tall order and, you know, kind of restoring the yeah. you know 1936 design, but also keeping it member friendly. But, oh, by the way, we want to prep it for, you know, major championship golf. Uh, why Gil? Right, right. Well, um, I, th- I think – you know, obviously he, he and Cor Crenshaw are probably the two hottest names uh, at that time in golf and the guys who had done the most work. And, you know, I think probably the, the easy answer is that he and Russ had just restored LA North uh, to get the Walker cup and get the U S open. And the, the reviews of what he did there were remarkable. I did my own kind of research on him at, at places that he had worked. And one of the things that I think, that Gil figured out, and, and I'd say add Jim Wagner in there with it is because uh, they're, they're really a team, um, is that his signature is not leaving one. And I think, I think that's what he does. He, he gets, he's very mindful of the original architecture and he's very mindful of the people who play it every day. Now there's maybe some members who might disagree with that because, um, <laughs> Uh, getting hands is now a verb uh, around, the, around the club. And so the, the, uh, so they may not, may, may not agree with it, but, but uh, he, he was very mindful of, of the Maxwell roles and he understood that the, um, that it wasn't just the Maxwell roles, roles did not just mean the interior of the greens and the contours there, but it, it also meant the edges. And so, you know, all of our edges are back crowned and, and the way he explained it, which I found really cool just to walk in the property with him, especially the first time was our edges have gotten pretty flat. So a shot that was maybe not hit great, uh, could stay on a little flat part. And so the edge of the greens, the tie-ins is what the architects would call it. had gotten a little flat, uh, over time. And so he said in 1936, using mules and plows and things like that to do it, everything would have been very soft and round and, and, and the edges of the greens would have been crowned. And so that's the thing that he put back. That that's, that's what getting hands uh, <laughs> means to the membership now is that uh, that ball that, and, and, and I can assure you that I've had plenty of times where I've been hands. Um, <laughs> had one yesterday. We had a, we had a PGA partners event yesterday and, and uh, thought I had a pretty good shot on 11 and 
had a little bit too much spin and got a little wind. The next thing you know, it spun back and went between two bunkers and I had a, you know, a 30 yard pitch shot. So it wasn't, I went from 30 feet for birdie or 25 feet for birdie to 30, 30 yard shot. But, um, that's, that was the real challenge. And one of the things that he did good, I thought was cool is, uh, the T complexes are much more into the ground now. So yes, we can lengthen it for a tournament like we're going to have next month, but we, we can also play it at 4,600 yards. Oh, cool. Uh, for uh, our membership or anybody who wants to play push up. So it gives us a lot. Of, so we go from 7,600 par 70, and we can play at 4,600 way up front. And it gives us the ability to have a lot of variety. So depending on what the weather's doing, depending on what hole locations, uh, Russ and, and our team can get together setting up the club championship or the member guests or whatever it is. And, you know, based on when and we want to use this pin, we can put the teeth almost anywhere we want to, to create the shot we want to, to give, give, give our crew a little more variety as they're, as they're playing. Yeah. Very, very cool. You know, you, you mentioned obviously the, the PGA championship next month in, in kind of a uh, unique set of circumstances, perhaps that, that led to sure. uh, hosting the event. So, so soon after the restoration, if you will, but you know, kind of give us a little bit of a, a peek behind the curtain, the conversations, the process, it felt like it all came together really quickly from the outside kind of looking in, but you know, obviously that restoration led to the awarding of the 2030 event uh, as well. But uh, you know, talk to us about that process a little bit, Gary. You bet. So um we, the club has a, a tournament and tradition committee and it's a evergreen committee of three gentlemen. And then they have um, a committee that supports them uh, as well, kind of from a guiding standpoint, but you know, you have to be made championships. Obviously they don't happen at very, very few places around, around the country. And uh, I think, I think Southern Hills is one of six clubs to host eight or more, seven or more majors. And uh, you can name all of them uh, for sure. So, um, but you have to, you have to be part of what's going on with the PJ of America, the USGA, whatever that is. And we had, uh, obviously, um, signed up for the 21 senior PJ championship and then the 20, you know, not to exceed 2030 for the PJ championship. And it, it really looked like it was going to be 2030, which wasn't that exciting yeah, to be candid, I guess. But, um, we told them that we wanted to go earlier. We, you know, had a bunch of great suggestions for them, um, like moving Val Hall to 22 on, and, and getting away from Trump, uh, Bedminster, uh, pushing him back down, you know, to a later time and letting us take 24 so we could have 21 and 24. And uh, it, anyway, it kept looking like, um, kept looking like it was going to be 21 and, and 2030 um, for us. And then, everything that unfolded, uh, January 6th and the toxicity of, of that, uh, the next day or two, basically we were told by the PJ, Hey, everything's on the table <laughs> at this point. <laughs> and, uh, I think what, I think ultimately what, what helped us, um, versus a lot of juggling was the fact that we had staff here. So Brian Carnes and Kristen powers and that the whole PJ office that's been here since 2019, they're already on, on site doing work. They had relationships with the city, with fire, with police, all of that going on. Uh, and our club, the morning after that, uh, that, that committee and, and our general manager, Nick Sidorkas, they got a commitment from every committee chair. On, again, there's a lot of them. I forget exactly how many, but 
every chairperson for the 21 senior agreed to do the same position in the 22 PGA. And then those guys went and got commitments from all the corporate hospitality. We'd set a record for the senior PGA championship for the amount of corporate hospitality. No surprise, as, as we as we know here in Oklahoma, how supporting people are of golf. Sure. And, and we went to um, the PGA like by noon the following day with committees in place. I don't know how, I don't want to say the wrong number. So a big number of corporate sales already in place. And then of course they already had their staff here. I think there were 30 clubs that threw their hat in the ring uh, wow. to host the 2022 PGA. I think in my opinion, I think we were an easy choice because of those three things. So it, it really speaks volumes about the membership uh, to, to commit to both the time and, and their volunteer their time as well as their financial uh, support from the city and from, from the membership uh, to, to get the 22 moved to Southern Hills. Yeah, obviously a huge undertaking uh, for, for any club. And uh, obviously we're fortunate that uh, to have it available and ready to yeah. go and uh, to slide into that spot, there's been massive amount of excitement for it. Yeah, you, you, may have, uh, you may have tipped us off to this next question already, but um, speaking of, you know, the highest of the high-level golf talents coming to Tulsa, what, what hole there, right. um, what hole at Southern do you feel is going to kind of challenge the players the most? Which one is going to give them the most fits? And then, you know, more generally speaking, how do you think it's gonna, the course is going to hold up against the world's best? Yeah, it's good. We, we're talking a lot about that right now around here, as you might guess, <laughs> sure. with, with people that are coming here. So it, it's an interesting – I had dinner with some guys last night uh, after this this event we had yesterday, and we were talking about that. You know, the front nine, in my opinion, is I'd say two and a half to three shots harder than the back nine. And the, the one thing that, that um, one of the guys said, he goes, well, there's not an easy hole out there. There's not like a breather. There's not a hole that – you go, okay, I can get, you know, I've got a, I've got a good, I'll, I know I'll have a good look at birdie if I, you know, on this particular hole, there's just, there's just not one of those holes. We only have two par fives, uh, one of them 677 yards, one of them 635 yards. And so it's, <laughs> um, you know, and they'll be able to, some of those guys will put themselves in a position where they can hit the green, but, um, you know, from just a, the hardest hole, I think, I think the new think the new number seven, it's going to be a really cool hole. It's um, it's got a lot going on with the drive. It's a it's a fairway that, that bends left but slopes right. Uh, you've got a creek about the time you know about where the drive is going to end up that starts on the right side there. So you've got this fairway that slopes to the towards the creek, and then you've got the hole bending the other way. You know, obviously, we in May we can get a south wind one day and a north wind the other day, and and everything in between. So I think the wind's going to play a big factor on that. And then the greens, the approach is there's two large bunkers on the front, uh, one on the front left and one on the back left, and then a creek that goes from the drive all the way to the right edge of the green. Any ball that misses the green right is going to the creek. Um, and if you bail out left, now you're chipping towards the creek. And then the creek runs behind the green and crosses in front of the eight, eight T. So I think, I think seven is going to be just from a demand, uh, a really difficult hole. Um, I think, I think 10 
Uh, and I have a little scar tissue from Tim from the senior PJ last year. Uh, so I'm, I'm hopefully, hopefully my, uh, my comments aren't tempered by that, but, but, uh, no, I just, it's, um, there were two large trees that, that were there before and, and the trees kind of blocked the left side of the green. So it kind of, it made you hit the correct shot, which is to the right side of the green. And when those trees were gone and the way Gil described it is if you have a 30 story building and a 60 story building, the 30 story building always looks short compared to the 60 story. But if you take the build the 60 story building away, the 30 story building looks so high. So the green didn't change where it is, but it looks way more up in the air than it used to. And now you can see the left side of the green and you can also see that 50 yards of tightly mown area left of the green that if you, if you hit a shot, so you're hitting, a, you're hitting a shorter club, uh, should be a, you know, a, a pitching wedge, maybe a nine iron or even a gap wedge, something like that into the screen. And, uh, you're going to, you have a lot of wind that can be coming over that hill and left is, is pretty much X. And, uh, it's a real severe green. All of uh, Maxwell, all of his shorter holes here have the most severe greens and the longer holes have more subtle greens. Uh, I wouldn't call any of them flat, but, but, um, so the, the, the shorter the hole, the more challenging the, the green complex is. And Tim, I mean, 9 and 18 get a little more fanfare when it comes to the, to the greens. I'd rather play 9 and 18 all day long versus 10, to be <laughs> candid. So um, I think that, especially if it's windy, I think 10 is going to be a real challenge of a hole. Guys are going to be just four fours would be great. Uh, you may make a birdie, uh, but, but I think a four would be um, – be welcomed on that hole. And then of course, uh, a really cool finish when it comes to 17 and 18. So 17, um, really short, not a flat. There's not a flat position on that hole on the fairway at all. There's not, there's no chance of having a flat lie. There's about, now there's about a 10 by 10 square up on the far left side of the fairway, about 90 yards out. If you can hit that square. So, um, and then the green is very narrow. I was Chris Tidlin was over here yesterday from Stillwater Country Club in Oklahoma State, former player, great player, played on the tour a number of years, and he hadn't played it since the redo, and he, he said that the 17th hole is the coolest hole he's ever seen. And he said without the trees behind it now, the depth perception, so you're trying to hit this little yep. you know, uh, distance wedge-type shot into the screen, and it's very narrow, and over the green is a bogey. And, uh, and so – it's a real challenge. And then you walk off that hole to 520 yards straight up the hill into the wind. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's 17 and 18, uh, assuming a, a south wind is a real one-two punch. You know, it's a little kind of one of the jabs and then one right to the nose on 18. Or one, one of the ribs on on um, on 17 and then right right, right to the eyes uh, on, on 18. So. Yeah, there's no doubt for folks who have been able to – to be on property at Southern Hills since the redo and have walked 17 and 18. It'll be amazing to watch those guys uh, navigate that to, to close out each of the rounds uh, on Saturday and Sunday. Um, to, total agreement there. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, well, you know, Kerry, you talked about some of the features of the golf course. And, you know, Jonathan and I have been fortunate enough to, to be up there a couple of times, I think most recently back in November, 
uh, if I remember correctly, for a uh-huh. for first Tee of Tulsa event. But, you know, in, in your right. opinion, yeah. you know, for, for those who, who haven't had the good fortune of being on the property yet, you know, maybe give us just a little bit of a general overview of the course, some distinct features. You know, obviously you mentioned those greens, uh, and I, I think that's what mm-hmm. Jonathan and I kind of think about as well. But kind of kind of give us your uh, elevator pitch, if you will, for a description of Southern Hills. Yeah, that's that's a great question. Uh, obviously, the greens get a lot of the attention. Uh, I love I love the way the land just kind of rolls. Um, and, and now with um, some of the trees that have been removed, you can, you can see through the property as you play. Uh, there's a little more fraternal aspect of it when you see your you know members can see their friends and their peers as they play the golf course and. So it's got a real soft feel about it. Uh, my son was caddying in the group that I was playing in yesterday, and we, we finished on number two, and it was getting later in the day. And, and uh, the you know, we still all of these specimen massive trees that we have on the property as the sun starts to set, the shadows start coming across there. And I think probably my favorite place to be on the property during the you know the evening time is it starts get that that point is number two it's just the creek that meanders through the middle of the hole uh those old stone bridges that that were all built in house uh that have that kind of natural you know look to them uh that's that's a really cool piece of it so the creek one of the things i didn't mention the guild did is everywhere we had that drainage pipe underground was basically taken out and and created as a as a creek so Hmm all the creeks have been opened back up that ran through the property naturally. And, and you'd be, you'd have to have a tour guide to go through there and tell you where it was, what God did and what <laughs> mother nature did and, and what Gil did because uh, he basically had his crew and said, let's make it look just like this. And they would just kind of use the They use those dozers uh, like you and I would use a, you know, a spoon in a, in an ice cream sundae. I mean, it was, it was amazing to watch it work. And you can't tell. And uh, so that's a really neat feature. Uh, and the way, you know, the, the I know Gil's favorite um, place was standing on 10 green, 11 tee box and looking back towards 12. 12 being our signature hole um, is, is kind of the famous hole. I, my favorite hole is 13. Uh, it's a par five. It's got a, it's got a lot of visual uh, interest to me. It's, the, the, it's kind of a double, almost like um, – roller coaster down in the, in the driving area. And then as you get up to the about 200 yards away, you can see there's, there's kind of these twin ponds in front of 13 and 16 green. There's five bunkers around the green. It's small. It's got a large tree kind of on the left side or by the water that there's just a lot, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of things you have to think about when you're, when you're playing that hole, how do you want to play and proceed? And then you have to be precise with it. And it's, it's just a, it's just a cool, cool hole. Uh, in, in my mind, but uh, I think I think the, the the greens are the ones to talk. About. I think it's just the way the land moves, and, and when you get out, and it's really a golf course that's great to walk, uh, and just and it's a big ballpark. You know, most most clubs are built on you know 125 to 150, 160 acres. You know, the champ is 200 plus. So it has this massive feel to it. Uh, the entire property is you know. 360 or whatever it is acres but the that's the comment we hear a lot of especially from from golfer you know people that are serious about it kind of geek out like we were talking about um it has a big ballpark feel to it and uh it's really uh it's really a cool place but 
uh, I, would, I would say that, you know, the greens um, and just all the different challenges because every shot's a little bit different wind, you know, when you, especially when you get the wind like we've been getting in the spring. Man, great breakdown. Um, a lot of different. Yeah, uh, I could visualize it I in my t- head I as he was t- talking t- through uh, it. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you here with just a uh, maybe two or three just rapid fire questions because you've actually covered uh, several yeah. things that we had down. But um, let's go just rapid fire on just flat out. What's the most fun hole to play? Oh goodness, um, seventeen is is. Uh, 10 and 17 both. Those are, those are just, uh, they're short. There's nothing, you know, you look at the yard, he's got some big deal. And then you go play the hole and you're like, Oh my gosh. And, <laughs> um, and 17 really is too. Cause you can, you can see off with, you can hit a driver and try to drive it up there around the green. And you know, there's a creek that now crosses the fairway and one to the right. Uh, and we, we moved the bunkers that were used to be two, two bunkers stacked on top of each other on the, on the, front right corner move that to the right side of the green so now there's a little place if you want to fly the creek and bounce it up you can do that but you can also hit a five iron you know maybe have 150 yards in and and it's always it seems like the end of the wind and and when it plays firm and fast you know the ball just runs out and gets down there close to that creek and it's just it's a nerve-wracking hole. Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't say a fun hole to play because they're both <laughs> nerve-wracking so maybe I should maybe I should pick a par five that's a little bit you know like yeah. 13 like I said that's that's uh, a little bit more fun. Uh, so, you know, I, I do think the part threes here are a, a great challenge because they, they go in different directions. Um, and, and as the, as you may have heard, I mean, they all kind of pivot the golf course. All the part threes are kind of in course, help the golf course make turns. So, you know, six for these guys next month is 225. Uh, you know, downhill with the creek left, and uh, pretty much need to hit the ball in the green or a bunker. Yep. It's the only way you're gonna, you know, make par. Um, overs, overs bad. Left obviously is a penalty. So, and then you know, probably of the par threes, the one that nobody talks about because the other three are really long is 11. Yep. It's 175 yards, give or take a few from the t- from the very back tee, and it sits back in the corner of the property by. Um, kind of on the west, eastern side of the property and the, it's down with kind of a bowl and the, the wind swirls around between the, between the hills there and the trees. And, uh, it's just a really difficult shot, uh, with four bunkers guarding it and the creek to the left now. And so, you know, ball that if it hits left of the, of the green, it goes in the creek, if it lands on the green and then rolls off. It usually stays up in a little bowl, but it's a, it's an awful shot to hit. I mean, it, there's, a thousand divots over there because that's where that's where we all end up hitting it. So um, it's not a, it's not an easy shot for for any for anybody. But uh, that that's um, it's it's going to be fun to watch the the best players as they as they come through here. I think you asked me a little. I forgot the answer, but I think if we get relatively dry conditions and we get uh, just a normal May wind, I, I'm, I'm going to say. Five to nine under wins, uh, uh, and I'm going to base that on history. So the the quick history lesson on the previous seven was we've had Nick Price is the only person to finish double digits under par in 1994. He shot 11 under and he won by six. Wow! Yeah, uh, Tiger <laughs> when he won in 07 at the peak at peak Tiger, he he shot seven under in the second round, tied the course record by Ray Floyd, 
and he shot eight for the tournament. So he was one under the other three uh, rounds. And so, and, that, and the golf course was 400 yards shorter and the greens were softer and not as fast just because of the time of the year. So, um, you know, you, you look through the, the, the winner typically has one great round and, and the course will, will give that up to these, these type of players, uh, but they're going to earn it. You know, you're going to have to, to be patient, hit the ball to the front third of, of every green, even, don't flag hunt with uh, even wedges. Um, and just to, because the greens aren't very big, so if you hit it in the middle of the green, you're gonna you're gonna have a relatively you know 25 to 30 foot putt. Um, it's easy to say those things. It's it's really you know difficult to do. Um, so I you know it's uh, and the first two chips because we don't have rust around the greens, so uh, the ball tends to kind of meander a little bit further away, uh, trickles down there, and it's all closely mown. So our fairway. We mow from tee, fairway to green surround right into the next tee. Right. And it's all it's all fairway height as you guys saw back at the first tee event. And uh, you know, uh, that's that's a lot more interesting for the players, especially the ones who have great short games, because uh, the ball can be kept on the ground, can be thrown up in the air, anything in between, versus just deep rough where you're kinda hacking it out with the, your lob wedge. And uh, so I think it it creates for some more interesting shots around the greens. Um, you know, if I was coming to watch, you know, any of the, any of the holes are, are fun, but I, I'd say watching shots coming to number 10 uh, and 11 and 12, there's a big grandstand behind the 12th green. Uh, Michael Collins, America's caddy is out here today. And nice. he said, is 12 always shaved on the right side of the green to the Creek? And I said, yeah, it is for the membership. I don't think they're changing that. <laughs> He's like, oh man, you missed it at all on the left, or on the right, and you're in the water. And I said, well, if you miss it left, you're going to be hitting a bunker shot downwind towards the water. He's like, you better hit the green. I said, yeah, you better hit the green. So it's, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, there's, there's some great, I, I, you know, if you, if you love golf and uh, you're coming out here, obviously if you're coming out here, you probably love golf, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch how these, how these guys uh, handle themselves around the greens. Just, uh, I think the winner is going to have, will be one of the people that has one of those elite short games. And obviously, Scotty Scheffler. But I, th- I think Speeds, his form is, is obviously coming into play. If he can just keep the putter from hurting him. But uh, he's so good uh, with a wedge in, uh, in his hand. And, and, and no surprise, I mean, the, the guys from Oklahoma and the guys from Texas, uh, if you grow up on, in this part of the world, you're, you're typically better around the greens than some of the people who grow up on the kind of the more lush – uh, grasses of the of the northeast or east coast um, because you know you get dormant you get you got all four seasons here you play in wind so obviously we'd love to see you know um, uh, Taylor Deutz or an Abe Answer or Victor Hovland or somebody from Oklahoma uh, do great uh, if not win uh, one just just for just for you know being being a homer uh, from Oklahoma but but uh, I, I you know. I think it's going to be if it's if it's soft and it rains a lot. Obviously, the scores could be lower, but I I just they, I, I'll tell you this: the PGA has not asked one thing about how much rough we're going to have, <laughs> and to me that tells me they think it's plenty hard if there's not any. Right. Wow. Yeah. So um, they haven't because that's one of the things you kind of worry about in May is how much rough will we have, who will be, what will the conditions be, and so on. And, and they, to my knowledge, they haven't said a mention a word about it. We didn't change our fairway cuts. We didn't change 
we didn't bring it in our fairways. We keep it pretty wide for the membership and uh, they may not agree with that, but, but we do the, uh, um, but they haven't, they haven't changed any of the mowing patterns other than like 16 where they're just putting some chalets. They don't, they like, they prefer the, the gallery to walk through rough, not on fairway. And, uh, that's the only time, that's the only mow pattern that we really changed on any of the holes. So it's, it tells me they think it's going to be plenty hard at 70, 75, 54, par 70. Well, you know, I think we'll, we'll obviously be releasing this, uh, in our series, right, right. You know, right close here to the, the PGA probably uh-huh. the week leading up to. So cool to hear you kind of give folks some pointers on, you know, kind of hang out around shots into 10 shots into 12. It's always something that, uh, you know, even though Southern Hills has had so many, um, championships held there it, it's been a while and so folks so will want that insight on on where to post up while they're there man Kerry, you've been so generous with your time gonna gonna get you out of here on this one you know i think folks love yeah. hearing about um famous folks you know notably famous guests who have who have played a course uh, do it do a little name dropping uh for our listeners uh, not non-golfers that have uh have teed up at southern hills okay. yeah yeah uh, a funny one today, Patrick Reed is here today Ooh. and he, he, uh, he teed off at eight. He went out, we had to play the first, first play was at nine 30 cause it was a little chillier and he hasn't hit, he's not hitting a shot and it took him three hours and 15 minutes to he's out charting the greens and he's just putting. Wow. So under the uh, under the Kevin Kisner uh, quote of this ain't a hobby, <laughs> uh, for all the golfers out there and the aspiring golfers, that's that's what the that's what these guys do. And uh, so he's he's probably somewhere in the middle of the back nine now, five you know five hours and fifteen minutes into it, um, he's probably on thirteen or fourteen, just staying ahead of play barely. And he's got one of our caddies, longtime caddy, out there with him, and all they're doing is charting the greens, putting the different hole locations. Uh, getting a sense for for the uh, for the greens, and so Harry Maxwell yeah, would be proud. From, from, uh, <laughs> Harry Maxwell would be, would be proud like that. That's, <laughs> um, so uh, you know that would be. Uh, I think that's you know great for if you're if you're um, a junior golfer, a aspiring professional golfer, just love the golf. You know that's what that's what, you know Patrick Reed's got one of the best putting strokes uh, there is. Sure. And, uh, and he's still, and maybe that's why, maybe that's why he's such a great putter. So, um, although I told him that he better keep ahead of our ladies group that plays on Tuesday morning or they won't care if he's got 40 green jackets, <laughs> uh, they'll be in the middle of him. So the, um, he started laughing about that, but I think he knew I was being serious. The, um, um, golly, who, non, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I grew up in the seventies and eighties. Julius Irving was out here a couple of years Dr. ago. Jay, I, nice. I was, I was old starstruck by the doctor you know i I was uh i was a huge fan of of dr j and and uh all that that's that's the one person i've probably asked i think to get a picture with uh with with dr j so yeah hey hey um, carrie i'm I'm sure dr j listens to the podcast but was his golf swing as smooth was he was his golf swing as smooth as what he was on the court no, no. I mean, it would be tough to be as smooth as that dude was on the court, right? I mean, uh, nobody. He, he was the king. He was he was the guy that that made it cool. He, you know, finger rolls and uh, all the all the sweet dunks and all that stuff. He was he oozed cool. But his golf swing was pretty good. I was I was impressed by it. You know, at six six, it's kind of you know your clubs and things like that are kind of tough. But uh, 
Yeah, I'm trying to think. We've had, you know, we've had some musicians that have come through from time to time. Uh, Alice Cooper was, you know, people that are playing concerts. We'll try to get them out with somebody, find somebody to host them. And uh, Alice Cooper came out recently. We've had big, big golfer uh, Alice Cooper. A lot of people don't know that I think, but he's a big golfer. Yeah, Yeah. No, no, he is. He is a golf junkie. I played with him at, at Wichita Country Club when I worked up there. He was in town for a concert, and the folks at Callaway kind of connect connected me to him and. And, um, and we played, I could not have been more impressed. He is a very good player and he is crazy about it. He didn't talk anything other than golf and his kids T-ball team the entire round. <laughs> That's so awesome. he's, he just wants to talk golf. So he's, we get those guys. We have a, um, it started out, it's called the wall of shame. We have a, a, a bathroom in the golf in the back of the pro shop in our storeroom and all the staff people, that's, we just, we're the ones that use it. And it became kind of a wall of shame. Like, you know, you, you're kind of playing jokes on each other and that, and some pictures got put in there and some dollar <laughs> bills that somebody had lost in a bed or something like that got taped to the wall. And then when we started, you know, players were in there, they started signing the wall. So we've got this autograph wall of, you know, all the OU and OSU guys that have been here and uh, all the former players and, and uh, Julius Mason from the PGA was stationed in the pro shop last year during the senior. And uh, he had, a, he, he showed, countless players you gotta come see this back here and uh so it's, it's got some great signatures in there um we've had politicians come through there um uh, last year lindsey graham was out here playing and i couldn't believe it because you know normally that guy's on tv it seems like every time i look on, <laughs> on a news station but uh some of those guys were here but uh the, the wall of shame has has become quite the quite the famous little next time you guys are out here i'll have to go show it so you guys can shoot some pics of it it's pretty cool for sure, man. For sure. Awesome. Some insider knowledge there. Pretty cool stuff. Pretty cool stuff. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, well, Carrie, man, we can't thank you enough for, for spending an hour with us here. You, you've been so gracious with your time. I think we yeah. said, we, we told you 30 to 40 minutes and we're, we're up on the hour mark here. And like I said, know, know that you're a busy man, especially in the weeks to come, but look forward to, uh, to seeing you up there uh, here in a couple of weeks, man. Thank you. I'm looking forward to you. Grab me when you guys see me uh, be running around here, obviously all day. I'm, I'm really excited. Not, not some, I mean, I am for the club and all that, but I'm really excited about the city of Tulsa. And, and you think about how different the city is and how cool, much more hip it is than it was in 07. I mean, there's so many more things to do for the people who come into town. Uh, I think the city is going to show very well. As, as we know, it, it's harder to get people to Oklahoma, but when you get people here, they love it. Sure. And they, and they, yep. they want to stay. And, and I think when people leave the golf course and they go to, downtown or they're at Cherry Street or Brookside or wherever they're going to go. Probably a lot of people go to the casinos <laughs> as well um, to do that. They're going to find a, a great city. So I think the impact on the city uh, is going to be really, really cool. And, you know, hopefully that, uh, that big cat rolls in here uh, and plays as well. So if he does, I think the place would be electric. And oh. I, I think he will. I think he's going to make it. I think, uh, I know he looked pretty tired walking up the, uh, the last at Augusta, but uh, I think that was, if he didn't hurt himself, I, I, I think we'll see him. Never count out the cat, uh, for sure. Be awesome no, to see him in Tulsa. Uh, so, Kerry, again, appreciate your time. Good luck uh, for the PGA, and we will definitely be running into you soon. Cool. I look forward to seeing everybody here. And that will wrap up Episode 4, our last in the Miles of Maxwell series. Big thanks to Kerry Cosby and big thanks to Southern Hills. The time is now. 
we are there, ladies and gentlemen. So the PGA Championship is upon us. Again, we hope you have enjoyed this series featuring some of the most famous courses that were designed and created by Mr. Maxwell. Again, we hope to see you up at Southern Hills this week as well. Enjoy the 2022 PGA Championship, and as always, get out there and enjoy the walk.